Good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I am Felicia King. Today, we are going to talk about password manager solutions, the complexities of MFA, and what you need to know in order to protect yourself from being hacked, as well as to achieve the appropriate cybersecurity insurance compliance that you're um, most assuredly needing to achieve. So just some interesting statistics in the beginning here, over 80% of compromises are occurring due to credential theft. As we look at the last two years of breaches, major breaches, these have caused insurance companies as well as the federal government to issue guide, guidelines. And obviously on the insurance side, it says, no, no, you just, you have to have this. <laughs> uh, in fact, there was a recent article uh, that was covering a lawsuit between travelers and an insured and the insured party effectively, at least according to the claims of travelers, uh, the insured party committed fraud on their application by saying that they had MFA. Now, I have covered that complexity of how do you avoid cybersecurity insurance fraud on a prior, prior, uh, prior podcast. So I'm not going to go into that detail because I'm going to assume that you understand that you can't be saying, oh, well, we have MFA on all of our accounts when you don't first even have an inventory of all of the accounts that your staff and your organization utilize and then have actually gone through the processes of validation and attestation reports. So you can say all you want that, oh, yes, we have this, that, and the other thing. When it comes down to an issue, I'm not going to use the term incident because it could just be an issue. It may not be so big as an incident, but if the insurance company gets involved, you will be required to provide the attestation documents that proves that, yes, indeed, you have MFA enabled and enforced on all of the resources that your company accesses, whether they're, you know, it's Salesforce or you know, external things that you don't control, uh, but by policy, you're having your teams uh, enroll in MFA, right? There's so much of this that is like end user awareness training and the types of things that your CISO or your compliance officer should be rolling through the organization uh, as a serious process. And then you have to really have ongoing training for staff and certainly mandatory onboarding training for new staff. Okay, well, without getting into the weeds on that, my point of today's podcast is about password managers. What do we actually need to know? This is a topic that is a heck of a lot more complicated than I think anybody would like it to be. You know, we have massive password fatigue out there. There are compromises that are happening because people are utilizing the password saving functionality that exists in browsers. And that is just, you know, I mean, it, it's not workable. And beyond that, there's no backup for it. So in, in terms of a, well, and it, it varies between different browsers, you know, I mean, it's just not a workable system. It doesn't lead to a business owned, business managed, uh, no compliance reporting documentation associated with that, no consistent strategy. And ultimately, at the end of the day, as an organization, if you're trying to manage risk and compliance, 
you have to have a strategy and then you need to have staff trained on how to be successful with that strategy, reduce the friction to the adoption of that strategy as much as possible, and then have mechanisms in place whereby you can assess the effectiveness of the adoption. And that comes through reporting typically, and then checking in with end users. This is why in an organization, somebody who has the CISO role or the compliance officer role who has a significant amount of technical ability and also understands risk management is extremely important. And they've got to be a pretty tough noogie. Um, They can't be somebody who is a people pleaser. Like if you're seeking to hire somebody for that role, please do not get somebody who's a people pleaser. (laughs) And and I don't mean that they should be gruff and unpleasant. Uh, I, I mean that that person has to have the intestinal fortitude to say, you know, hey, uh, you know, Joe in the accounting department, I understand your concerns and, you know, this is our company policy and we do this and this is because, so let me help you understand how to do your job while still being in compliance with the company's strategic objectives, right? And that's what that sort of person should be doing uh, as opposed to more often than not, your people-pleasing type of person will go in and defeat the security mechanisms or lead the staff to believe that they can work around the system, you know, all no bueno. So again, I, I want to talk about password managers here because this is so ridiculously complicated in so many ways that if I just put out a document on it, I feel like, yes, it can absolutely be ingested by people that have a lot of technical background or who want to take the time to be fully informed or significantly more informed than they are now. And my goal here with this is to kind of shortcut and condense that process for you, or at least to uh, make it, you know, more friendly in terms of understanding the information. So one of the big things to be aware of with regards to password management and, uh, you know, multi-factor authentication is that the, you know, we need to have a consistent approach. I've said that, but there are serious adoption challenges. And these are not in your control, except to the realm that you have, or to the extent that uh, you have a documented strategy in place, and then you train your staff for that. So example, so Salesforce has a mandatory multi-factor authentication coming out soon. I don't remember the deadline for it. Uh, They will be doing OTP only. So what is the strategy that you're going to advocate to all of your staff uh, if they're doing Salesforce? Now, I might argue that you'd actually be better off to do like WatchGuard Cloud SAML integration, so SSO-based authentication into Salesforce using your Azure AD credentials. Hmm. Well, so see, that's an interesting conversation you should be having you know, with somebody like me who can say, well, you know, in this case, Salesforce is a business owned asset and we have, you know, let's say a lot of staff. So it would be worthwhile to do the SAML integrated authentication components for that, you know, between the Azure AD uh, credentials and Office 365 tenant and Salesforce. Uh, when you look at something like LinkedIn, though, you do want to have a policy whereby employees are utilizing MFA for LinkedIn. 
and you can certainly make it amenable that they would be utilizing their, uh, let's say, Microsoft Authenticator on their mobile phone as the OTP code holder for LinkedIn. You could also uh, say, hey, you know, you guys can use the password manager system and you can put the OTP code for LinkedIn in there. Uh, let's look at Adobe.com as an example. Right now, uh, Adobe has SSO integration, which is an effort to set up. And as a result, that becomes economical at a certain scale. I certainly wouldn't do it for five users or eight. Adobe doesn't do OTP codes. They do SMS for the most part. So even if you do OTP codes, you still have to have an SMS enrollment. <laughs> oh, this is where it's getting really fun. It gets even more fun when you start talking about <clears throat> things like IT management. So let's say you've got a bunch of iPads and you need to set up a, uh, an Apple account for DEP, uh, and, which is basically like Apple device management. So you need to be doing that not tied to an individual's cell phone number in the IT department. We have to have business continuity. So now we need an IT department number that can not only receive SMSs, but can also receive phone calls that backhauls into a system that the appropriate personnel in the IT department can access. But that's actually pretty complicated because not all phone numbers are created equal in the eyes of the providers who think they're doing know your customer. And the know your customer regulations, there's a huge variability in the interpretation of that that goes on out there. Like, give you some examples. I've used Google Voice numbers. That's not a great approach because Google Voice numbers are still required to be tied back to an individual's cell phone number because then Google is like, oh, we can tie it to somebody's driver's license number, okay? Uh, that doesn't lead to business continuity. Right? Another option is I've used uh, VoIP integrated SMS numbers that are shaken and stir certified. And while they abide by the shaken and stir enrollment regs, and if you don't know what shaken and stir is, feel free to look it up. It's, it's basically says that, yes, <clears throat> we in the telcos have verified that the owner of this phone number is actually who they say they are and no, this isn't gonna be used for spamming, okay? So it's another business-based way to do know your customer compliance in this idea of avoiding the problems of fraud. Like, oh, okay, somebody just got this phone number and then now they're gonna start perpetrating spam and fraud and whatever with it, okay? So, some of the providers, and you know, I'm talking Microsoft, uh, Google, all kinds of third parties that run websites, uh, all kinds of organizations that have uh, websites and systems whereby they want to do some level of SMS enrollment, even for the purposes of like you just initially set up an account with them, uh, Adobe being one of them. So when you are looking at a situation where we say we need to have business continuity, okay, maybe we're setting up an account with bill.com and we want that tied to a uh, SMS 
enabled number that the three or four individuals in the accounting department can access. So how do we do that? Well, we can't have a situation that says, and this is a real world example, we can't have a situation that says that, gee, every time one of those individuals needs to log into whatever that accounting platform is, they have to call, you know, Mike to get, you know, or Teams chat him or email him or whatever and say, can you please forward me the, uh, you know, the code that got SMS to your phone? That's not a business continuity plan. <laughs> and I mean, I know people that are doing this. And they don't have to do that. That that is not only not a business continuity plan, but it's a huge piece of friction and it's a huge time waster amongst that staff. So there are solutions to all these problems. But what I'm the big element I'm trying to convey here is that there are really, really detailed technical challenges. There is no one right answer for how you do MFA because there's you know, thousands of systems that all potentially have a, a different piece of functionality or a different approach that's going to be best for your organization in the context that you're using it in. And if you try to navigate those complexities on your own, you will not end up with the best solution. And I'm speaking from experience here that I have spent at least six years, if not more, navigating the complexity of these things. Uh, in addition, I do that complexity navigation when we're talking about privileged session management, privileged access management, privileged identity management. And when you're talking about business continuity, uh, things get even more complex on the IT side because if you go, again, I love to use examples. Let's say we go get an Adobe account and we go get a business plan. We should be setting up the master admin account for your business Adobe account as the IT manager mailbox at your company. Well, where's the phone number that that account is associated with? Well, again, we now need to have a, a company-owned SMS-enabled phone number that the various providers will actually effectively send to, which they won't all because they don't all recognize all VoIP numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is some complicated, ridiculous stuff. It's clearly horrifically frustrating. You know, I wish I could have like called up somebody like myself who who had slogged through all of this trouble in the past and said, strategically, what do you think would be the best to do in this case? And I've suffered through all of that. So that's some of the benefit that we deliver to clients is that I can hear what those little things are that they're trying to do and say, you know, really, if we're trying to have business continuity for your Adobe account, then, you know, we need to have, you know, IT manager here. We need to have this SMS number enabled. That's going to be end up to be um, receivable and interactable with by these folks in this role-based access control method. And we'll, this will be documented in the uh, business continuity plan for the organization. And then you know, we'll have individual additional admin access on a couple other individuals in the organization. And then that way they don't need to be logging in as the IT manager account, but yet the IT manager account will uh, sit around. And you know, there's no financial 
impact to that because it doesn't need to be an, a licensed account. But then if those two other admins leave the organization, hey, hey, you know, we've still got appropriate access. You can still log in, you can still MFA, but now, gee, where do we put these credentials? Well, you better have a plan for that too. So this is where we're talking about privileged access management, roles, responsibilities, rules, strategies, and discipline uh, on the side of the IT department. And none of this is easy, okay? So I think hopefully these examples I've conveyed here help you understand that there is, you, you know, you're never gonna find, here's this one strategy that works with everything. You know, some things are gonna require a YubiKey. Sometimes Google Authenticator is the best option. Sometimes Microsoft Authenticator is the best option. Sometimes AuthPoint is the best option. Sometimes putting your OTP codes right into your password manager application is the best approach. Uh, sometimes it's gonna go into a shared password list with your team, um, or at least the other people who you share that job function with. Sometimes it's gonna go into your individual, I did not say personal, it's gonna go into your individual business password list. <clears throat> um, setting up a password manager for an organization and verifying that that's actually fully set up correctly with the right security policies and that that's pretty complicated too. I've spent many, many, many years on this topic of appropriate identity and access management and privileged access management. And it's very experiential what you learn about this is the best way to do this and this is why and so forth. And that's why the approach I like to take is to be able to have intelligent discussions with clients and as we work through whatever their unique contexts are, then that decision ends up getting made about like, okay, for this organization, this is how they're gonna do this function in this department. We're gonna now document that. And then that continually adds to the policy document. And then as you add a new person to that department, it's very clear to them how to do that function. This is how we do password management for this system and that system and this other system. You know, this is on this system, we use the shared SMS account on this system, we use the shared OTP, uh, et cetera, you know, or this type of a system. No, we all have individual accounts. And so you do your own individual, you know, passwords and accounts and your own OTP codes, either in the password manager or in Microsoft Authenticator, you know, so if, there's just so many ways to do MFA that unless an organization goes into it with a strategy, it's going to be chaos. And I think it even becomes worse when the expectation is that internal IT is going to support these functions on their own. I really feel this type of a thing is either the type of a thing where your CISO interacts with uh, the managers and works through these discussions and then helps to come up with policy documents for each business unit and then thereby building up that internal um, manager business unit driven knowledge base about, hey, this is how we're going to do it in, in accounting and this is how we're going to do it in the payroll area and you know that type of thing. Because if you rely exclusively on your IT department for these things, 
I don't think that they have had that level of experience and exposure to the horrendous levels of complexity that exists in enterprise password management and all of the MFA complexities. So the last thing that anybody wants is, oh, we've invested in this password management system and now we have employees who aren't using it or they're using it improperly. And now we have compliance and security nightmare on our hands simply because whatever was presented to folks to do had too much friction. If it has too much friction, it's too difficult to use. If they don't have uh, an, an easy way to be able to get a, an authoritative, functional, as low friction as possible, strategic answer as to, gee, how the heck should I address this particular problem, then people are going to work around it because people want to go get their job done. They don't want to be spending time thinking about, you know, oh my gosh, you know, how do I authenticate to this resource? You know, and, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, hopefully I've said enough about that particular thing. Now I want to get on this whole realm of there, uh, there's a topic of, do you do it with a premise asset? Do you do a password manager that is a cloud hosted? And I have done a, another previous podcast on this particular topic where I talked about all of the intricate complexities of infrastructure assumptions that you have to have in place in order to have a premise hosted on your in your own premise that you're managing yourself, even if you went and got a server hosting in Azure or a Colo or something like that, you still got all the same exact problems. It just is going to cost more because you've chosen to use, you know, somebody else's infrastructure instead of your own. Um, for most organizations that I encounter, they do not have the infrastructure and the technical support to do that kind of premise hosting of these resources on their own. And if you think about it, you have to really put the hat on of saying, hmm, if I'm going to now set up this particular system as the basis where I'm not only having my, my staff, my regular employees put their password content, but I'm also going to use this for my IT systems. Then you have to realize that that system that has the passwords to the things for the infrastructure becomes a prerequisite for any business continuity or disaster recovery scenario. So how good are you at keeping that thing up? What's your level of redundancy, resiliency, you know, failover, recovery time objective? And then in addition to that, it is effectively a tier zero asset. So if the security of that asset gets compromised, then you've just lost the, the bacon to everything else. And uh, you know, there is a cost to that. And part of that cost is that you have very, very clear, tightly controlled roles and responsibilities, whereby no one who ever has any admin authority into your environment can ever defeat your security compliance technical controls. And I just have never seen that in almost 30 years of being in the IT industry. I've never seen that uh, effectuated by internal IT until I was working with companies that were uh, in around about 10,000 users and up. Because at that point in time, they can afford to have somebody like me as a, a full-time employee 
and of course have you know a team of let's say three or four network people who are absolutely rigorously adhering to tiered access control and uh, tier zero policies for ACLs at the network. And uh, I've encountered multiple situations recently where the internal IT at a uh, customer basically drove a giant hole through network layer security. And it, you know, it's, reminiscent of what I was talking about earlier, where I said, you have to have someone who's not a people pleaser doing these types of functions. Because if you've got a people pleaser who is in that role and they are trying to uh, get a phone system to work, for example, they are more interested in just making the problem go away which will cause the end users to uh, stop calling for support tickets, uh, then, you know, they're just not as interested in saying, you know, hey, I'm going to go articulate to individuals why we have to pump the brakes on this and why we have to circle back and actually go back and implement this the correct way. And we can't be driving holes through security because that would damage our tier zero assets, et cetera, et cetera, right? They just typically don't have the ability to articulate that uh, in an amenable way. And so they take the easy route and they just drive holes through security and that type of stuff accumulates. And then from like a corporate counsel perspective, if on your insurance application, you have specified that you have certain posture and then mid-year, your IT department goes and uh, defeats components of that security posture, then an incident can occur. Uh, and then an investigation is going to be done by the data forensic incident response firm of the insurance company. And then they're going to say, hey, but really, you said on the application that you had these technical controls and you had this particular configuration and you had this particular cybersecurity posture. But then in reality, in your environment, we find that's actually not the case. Well, when probably that application was submitted, that posture was in place. But mid-year, internal IT drove holes through the security configuration. So uh, there's some real issues there. And this can get even worse when you're dealing with password managers. So in general, I am not going to advocate for a premise password manager for any organization unless they have 100% outsourced IT services to a high-function cybersecurity firm that has all of that capability, or they have a very clear roles and responsibilities matrix that uh, eliminates anyone who doesn't have a strict adherence discipline to the maintenance of that security posture that eliminates anyone like that from having any ability to tamper with those configurations. So uh, it's a matter of, I guess, you know, looking at it from the, the real financials, not just like, oh, it's going to cost us to have our consultant do that. It's, it's a matter of what is that actually doing to your overall risk proposition for the organization. 
so something else interesting is I did a bunch of investigation into the cost profile for support for large accounts that go direct with a password manager application. And what I found was that in a lot of cases, they would have to have a $25,000 a year support contract in order, you know, with the software vendor in order to receive a similar level of support directly from the software vendor. So, you know, I think this is really exemplar for what I find to be the case across like the network security space or the switch security space uh, in many, in many, many, many facets, the manufacturers, whether they're the manufacturers of the software or the hardware, they are not interested in being in the position of being the security strategic advisor to the end user of the solution. And that is because this stuff is complicated. And, you know, frankly, their lawyers won't let them do that. And so the systems that they use is they say, you know, look, really, uh, if you're going to be able to be effective with any of this stuff, you need to be having a trusted advisor relationship, working with somebody who has a more broad awareness and deep awareness of what your unique organizational contexts are, your context, your needs, what's most appropriate, because you can do password management 52 different ways. And what is right for your organization for that context? Like, you know, I brought up the whole Salesforce versus adobe.com thing. And I mean, certainly you look at Office 365, it would be frankly foolish, I think, to utilize anything other than Microsoft's integrated Azure AD MFA because it's included and it's supported and it just, you know, it works so well and it's not increasing your cost profile in any way. Uh, and in many cases, it's, it, it just feeds off of the self-service password reset. So it reduces end user friction quite a bit as well. So that's why, you know, I, I think people have tried to hit this easy button and they said, well, I want just one MFA method. And I, I hate to have those conversations with people where I'm unfortunately uh, being a bit of a rainy day on their parade. But from a technical perspective, it's just not, uh, it's not a workable approach because ultimately you don't control the MFA mechanisms for the vast majority of systems that your staff interact with. Okay, so that's what I have to say about uh, password managers. I, I think that it's absolutely critical that you partner with your trusted advisor to get your password manager system implemented and that you get your support for it from them. They're, they are going to need to provide you a lot of ongoing strategic advice and that over time, these policies and procedures for your staff will get built, built up and, you know, double thumbs up on that because that's helping you with your information security policy development, which is a cybersecurity insurance requirement. It's also helping you with your business continuity documentation, which is another cybersecurity insurance requirement. So done correctly, you can get a lot of economies of scale and a lot of leverage out of it. So please, as you're looking at the topic of how are we going to do MFA and password management, uh, know that you really need to partner with somebody on that because I just don't see internal IT having the experience or expertise to be able to advise properly on that. Uh, it's, there's a lot of benefits to selecting a system that can also do privileged access management, privileged session management, 
And the we use a premise and we also use a cloud-based password manager system, both of which now have privileged access management, privileged session management. Used to be that the premise one was the only one that did that. There are premise components that have to be installed for the cloud-based one in order to do that work. Uh, but it is, it's simply a component. It's not as if you're actually hosting the whole kit and caboodle there. So again, hence another area where this is just complicated. You really want to sit down and have conversations with your uh, trusted advisor about this topic. So that's it. What I've got for today on that topic, uh, please do let me know if you have any questions and I'm happy to answer further questions about that. We all need to be getting on the bandwagon of fully utilizing password management systems for all staff across every organization with a documented functional MFA plan with attestation documents, with cybersecurity awareness training, uh, with you know all of the supportive information security policies necessary in order to make this successful in an organization. And I think if you do that, it is a intensely defensible approach that uh, it would be hard pressed to find anyone who would cast aspersions on that strategy.